You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. War with Russia is inevitable. Where will it lead? Hello and welcome to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by ChristadelphianVideo.org on behalf of the Christadelphian community worldwide. The war in Ukraine has the world's attention, but where will it ultimately lead? Already food and oil and gas supplies are being affected globally with no sign of any let up. How much will the West tolerate? How much longer will Russia tolerate the sanctions imposed upon them? This video examines the situation in light of Bible prophecy, and specifically Ezekiel 38. And as I mentioned, this is also available as a video over on ChristadelphianVideo.org, where there is a slide presentation of this particular episode. Now, this episode, Um, was presented by Brother Grant Jolly from the Enfield Ecclesia. But at what dramatic times we live in, what exciting times we live in, the days of Christ's return is clearly very, very soon. You know, first of all, this is what the Bible tells us. You know, when Jesus ascended to heaven, the final message that was made at that time was made by the angels who stood around the apostles at that time. And so it says there that when Jesus was taken up into heaven and received him, and a cloud received him out of their sight, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, behold, two men stood in white apparel, said, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus Christ will return. He will return to this earth. He probably will return to the Mount of Olives and stand upon that mountain and do exactly as this is said at that time. But he will certainly return to this earth. You know, this is a statement that's found in the Bible repeatedly. No less than 318 times in the New Testament alone. It speaks of the certainty of the return of Christ. The great promise of the Bible. Oh, we long for that time, don't we? As we look at the chaotic world in which we're living in. But it shall indeed happen and he shall return And it shall come to pass at that time. And so we can see this repeatedly through scripture. We won't read these quotes out, but there's just a few. And I'll show you in the next PowerPoint another few. Just a few where it speaks of his coming, coming, coming. And he will come. There's another. And his presence, as well as his coming, will be upon this earth. We long for that day, don't we? when that shall take place. But when he comes, 
What will be his purpose? Why is he coming to this earth? He is coming to establish God's kingdom upon this earth. That's what we long for. As we look at the world around us, my goodness, don't we long for that time when it shall come. For what will that kingdom be like? What will God's kingdom upon this earth be like? Look, we could go to many, many quotes. I've only got a few here. And we'll put them on the PowerPoint. Some we might look up. But very, the, the scriptures is full of it. That's the great hope of the Bible. That's what the faithful from the times of Genesis right through to the times of Christ have longed for and beyond that time. So what will it be like? Well, here in Micah, Chapter 4, one of the minor prophets, it says that this world that's going to be established when Christ's return will be very, very different. Not like it is today. Look what he says. And he shall judge, talking of Jesus Christ, judging on God's behalf. He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Neither shall they learn war any more, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. Outside one of the United Nations buildings, there is an image of somebody beating their swords into plowshares. Man has never accomplished it. There's about 30 wars taking place, many of the minor ones, at this time. And one major one, which we'll talk about a little later. So this world is filled with trouble, difficulties. Look at the world this year, this century. World War I, World War II, millions dying. But when Christ returns, they will learn war not again. Man will change their ways. Again, we see people starving. They're talking about huge numbers perishing because of problems that are rising. Millions, possibly. More on that in a minute. But there will be plenty of food. No shortage of food. Retain that in your mind because we'll come back to that later. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for him, says Isaiah 35. The desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly. So mankind upon this earth will receive all the food that it needs to survive. There won't be the shortage. There won't be the starvation. There won't be the difficulties that we hear on all sides today. What a different world to what we're seeing. There will be no wars, as we said before. Isaiah 2 says this, but it shows us why there will be no wars. And the word of the Lord will go forth from Jerusalem. There's where Jesus will rule from. And he, Jesus, shall judge among the nations. And shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, like it said in Micah, and their spears into pruning hook. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And it'll be through the rulership of that wise one, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's repeatedly referred to the wisdom of him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Oh, when he comes. We know the world will be ruled in wisdom, wisely. It will be a completely different situation to what we see today. Come, and 
you know, here in Isaiah 65, it tells us that people will have their lives extended. It says a person who dies at 100 years of age will be deemed a child. And most people will live to a grand age. Yes. But the faithful who worship him now today, as we'll talk about later, will be given life eternal. But mankind, the major part of the world that time, will have their life extended if they follow the ways of Christ. And so things will be different. There will be no more fence, an infant of days, you know, dies at you know, five years or something like that. Nor an old man that has not fulfilled his years or days. For the child will die a hundred years old. They'll say, ha, oh, somebody died a hundred. Ha, that person was just a child. Ha. Most people will live probably like down in the days of Noah and such like 800, 900 years if they're faithful. And so things will be changed. But now come with me to Psalm 72. Here's a psalm that speaks of the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ. What it will be like when he comes. It's a wonderful psalm. Well, there is so much in the scripture we could turn to. But here's just one of them. Psalm 72. Look what it says. Give the king thy judgments, O God. Who's that king? Of course, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And thy righteousness unto thy sons, uh, thy king's son. He shall judge thy people with righteousness and the poor with judgment. So in that day, there won't be the foolish decisions that are made today at times. None of that. Because Christ and the wisdom that God gives him, he will rule rightly. What a change from what we see today. Then he will rule the whole world. Look at verse 8. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river unto the ends of the earth. Whole world will be subject to him. And all will serve him. Look at verse 9. They that dwell in the wilderness shall bow before him. So maybe this is the Arab community. His enemies shall lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish, these are the British nations. And of the isles, that's us, shall bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall offer gifts. Yea, all the kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. What a wonderful situation will be developed. And the result, finally, that the whole earth will give glory to God. Look at verse 19. Blessed be his glorious name forever and ever. And let the whole earth be filled with, the glory, with, with his glory. Amen and amen. Let it be, let it be. And we know it will be. Because God has said so. God has said so. And so... As it's stated early in the piece in Numbers chapter 14, verse 21, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord under the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ in that day. So what a wonderful thing it will be. But now the burning question for us is, how will this be achieved? Now we're not going to that in a huge amount of detail tonight, but we're looking at some aspects of it, particularly in regard to the war that's taking place now. How will it be achieved? Well, first of all, Joel, oh, first of all, Daniel says to us that at that time when this happens, it will be a time of trouble such as never was, 
And Jesus adds, says the same thing. And there shall be signs upon the earth, distress of nation with perplexity. Men will say, look, we've got no answer, no way out. See in the waves roaring, everything looks like it's chaotic. But it will be so different in that day because a great war will take place. Now I'm picking up some of the key quotes that relate to the war, the final war, and here is one of those. Joel chapter 3, and it says verses 1 to 2. In those days, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, so here it is, captivity in the land of Israel, I will gather all nations. Oh. So this is not just like World War I and World War II. All nations. And I will plead with them for my people. They will threaten Israel. They will threaten my people Israel, who in the days of Joel were scattered among the nations and, and the nations had parted my land. They had done that. They did that from 8070 onwards again. But when they come back to that land, that will be stated. And battle and Christ himself speaks of this in Revelation 16. Verses 14 to 16. Maybe we could turn that one up. Quite a little bit more difficult, but a very fascinating chapter. Here in the last book of the Bible, caused to be written by the Lord Jesus Christ himself specifically. He says to us in verse 14, For, there, for they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the whole earth to gather them to the battle of the great day of Almighty. So he talks about difficult times, difficult circumstances, and a great battle taking place. But he says at that time, listen carefully. Behold, I come as a thief. Ha, people won't expect it. Blessed is he that watcheth. Are we doing that? And keepeth his garments. Are we walking in his way? Lest he walk naked and they see his shame. You know, we must accept that way and follow it now faithfully while we've got time. And then, verse 16, he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. And so here we have that great conflict that will take place in the Middle East, which is called the Battle of Armageddon. Where it means a heap of sheaves in a valley for threshing is the implication of it. And that indeed is what's going to happen to the nations that involve themselves in war. Well, what an interesting time we live in, my dear ladies and gentlemen. What an interesting time. But the question is, what's going to happen? Well, one of the key things is Russia will ally with and conquer Europe probably first before it moves into the Middle East. Ezekiel chapter 38 tells us this, and maybe we can come back to that chapter and have a look at that. A very important chapter because we're going to concentrate particularly upon that tonight. But in Ezekiel chapter 38, and if you keep your hand there or put a marker there, because if we go away, we will certainly come back to this chapter. It's a chapter that relates to our day, and we'll look at that a little later on. I mean, we could look at some of the things, you know, it says in regard to that verse 14. My, it says in the middle of verse 14, my people are dwelling safely or confidently. That's Israel today. Verse 16, in the middle of that verse, it says, in the latter day, surely it's our day. But come back to verse 2. 
Son of man, set thy face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Meshech and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against thee, O Gog, the chief prince of Meshech and Tubal. And I will turn thee back and put hooks in thy jaws. And then he goes on to say that they will be brought into the land of Israel. And affiliated with it will be, as it's got on the PowerPoint, Goma, which we believe to be the area of the Gauls, the French area, and to Gama, which is the area of Turkey, which is to be of the north quarters from where Israel is. So let's look at this in now a little bit more detail. Here's one of our earliest writers. You can go to the library. I was intending actually to get a, a copy of it from Manor just to wave it, but I forgot to do that. Because this is one of our earliest writings written by Dr. John Thomas, written 174 years ago in 1847, 1848. He wrote Elpis Israel. And in the introduction to that, so it's obviously a very important point that he wants to make. In the introduction, in the preference, he says, the future movements of Russia are notable signs of the times because they are predicted in the scriptures of truth. When Russia makes its grand move for building up of its image empire, then let the reader, that's us, know that the end of all things as at present constitute is at hand. Now, you know, he wrote many things in there. He spoke about the Jews returning to the land, how they would come back and form a state in the land. He wrote that when it didn't happen. And he was right because that's what the Bible said. And he wrote this. And he'll be right because that's what the Bible says. It will indeed result in that happening. So coming back then to verse 2, I've now put verse 2 up in a modern, more modern translation Rotherham's version, which is a very, very accurate translation, it says there that it's Gog of the land of Magog, prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. So the word there, chief, is a proper noun. The word chief in verse 2, Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal, is a proper noun and should be translated Rosh. Here's a whole lot of translations, some that I'll be able to pull off my shelf. And here's the King James at the top, where it's got the word chief. But look how the others have translated it. Rosh, 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 Rosh. That's the way it should be translated. So now let's look at that more carefully. Let's look at that word Rosh. Now we're going to the leading lexiconographer of the Hebrew language, Jesenius. There's an edition of it. I've got a copy at home. And it states very clearly on the Hebrew word Rosh, it says, it's used in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 2, 3, and chapter 39, verse 1. And it is. But look what he says about that word Rosh. It's undoubtedly the Russians. Yes, it's in the area of Tubal, Meshach, Rosh. And it is indeed the Russians as it was in those days, and it is today. Well, there's the leading lexiconographer of the Hebrew language, Jesenius. Most people ex ex believe that to be so. But here's a book on geography, an ancient book of geography, but written some years ago. And here we have Bocart's book on the geography of the Holy Land. 
And here he's got Rosh for us. And he states, Rosh is the most ancient form under which history makes mention of the name Russia. Ha! And we could multiply that many times. So indeed we can see, can't we, that here is the power of Russia named for us very clearly. You know, there it is then. Son of man, set thy face. And I want to now look at the word Gog. So I've gone back to the King James Version there. Gog of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. What does that word Gog mean? Well, the word Gog means that one at the top, in the sense not because he is maybe to the north, of course, but he means he's a supreme leader, an emperor or a dictator probably. And it well may be this man here in charge of Russia. I know people are saying his health's not good and now a more brutal man is taking over on his behalf for the moment. Well, we'll see. It doesn't really matter. But the leader of Russia will be the Gog, the one at the top, the supreme ruler. And so he will take control of Russia. And Ezekiel 38 verse 15 tells us this. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts. Thou and many people with thee, all of them riding upon horses and a great company and a mighty army. So where do they come from? The north parts. RSV renders it the outermost parts of the north. Hey, you can't go further north than the North Pole. Just south of the North Pole where there is land, there it is. There it is. The outermost parts of the north is Russia. So very clearly that scripture, Ezekiel chapter 38, commentators relating to the words that were used back in those days, tells us very clearly that that place and its geography relates to Russia. And so they will come. But here we can see, year after year, Russia has been arming frantically, particularly after it dumped the Warsaw Pact countries back in the 1990s. It is armed frantically. Here we can see Red Square Manoeuvre or marshalling 2020. There they are. Still Russia is very proud of its increased size and its mighty army. And it's growing all the time. What for? To conquer. Look at 2021 and 2. What has Russia done in these last two years? Russia's taken Belarus, Kazakhstan. It's had a massive manoeuvre. We'll look at these again in a minute. Zapad manoeuvre. It has limited the gas control going into Europe. It's trying to conquer it through energy. And we'll show later food. Russia threatens now to take Ukraine. And many of the papers say... Their aim is Eastern Europe too. The Bible says all Europe except for Britain. So here we are. Look at the date. Last year, April. And through pressure, finally, the leader of Belarus has succumbed to Putin. There we are. The Kremlin has achieved its strategic goals in Belarus stealthily, steadily and methodically. And it's fallen to Russia in control. Belarus has now fallen under the influence of Russia, said the paper. 
He'd succumb. They didn't want war like Ukraine. Probably they were smart in doing that. They simply raised their hands, so to speak, and gave up. Oh, yes, there were protests in the street, but it didn't matter. And then this man here, the leader of Belarus, their prime minister or president, said this. Belarus's president warns the entire continent of Europe is on the verge of war. That's how he believed. Now, he stated that last year. But now look at Kazakhstan. Have a look at the map. Here's Turkey. Here's the Black Sea. Here's the Caspian. Here's Iran. North of that is Kazakhstan. Putin's, Russia's Putin seizes on the crisis to assert control in Kazakhstan. It's got major supplies of oil there too, which Russia wants and controls. So they sent in troops. There they are. Some of them coming in. A Russian-led forces arrived at the president's request and amid anti-government protests. Here's another country giving up the president. He can see the writing on the wall. And so troops were moved into there under Russia's inviolable sphere of influence. There it was, and later they went home. So here we can see Russia asserts its control over Kazakhstan. Now, later this year, later last year, September, Russia moved the largest number of troops in a Kazakh Zapad manoeuvre for many, many years. I think it was 40 years. And they moved in to those areas. 200,000 troops into 20 bases that they built at that time. And I believe those troops are still there, not particularly involved in Ukraine. They're threatening Europe in another area, further to the north up here from Ukraine, which is down in this area. So we can see that manoeuvre took place. And now they began to threaten Europe using oil as the weapon. Europe gets the bulk of its oil, if it, you consider one place, from Russia. Russia is a major supplier for it. And so here's Mr. Putin. It's as if he can turn the oil off here, so to speak, and control the supply of oil. And amazing, where does most of Europe's oil from Russia come into Europe through Ukraine? There's four key pipelines through that area that have not been cut off yet. But if Russia wanted to, in a blink, they could cut them off, blow them up, and Europe would be out of much of its oil. They're desperate at the moment to get supplies in. So here we can see some of the major pipelines moving in. Russia built this one here, the Nordic One pipeline. Brought it through there so it couldn't be controlled by any other country. Then they built a huge cost, a second pipeline. Here's the end of it. It's been completed. They're not using it yet. But the message is very clear. We can provide you all the oil and gas you need if you submit to us. And so you can see, Russia can cut the gas pipelines. This Yammer one going through Poland has been cut. And this oil gas coming through here is now being backflowed from Germany into Poland kindly to keep Poland warm for the time being. 
Russia is already beginning to act using that. But the end of the year, about December, January, when it got kind of cold and everybody wanted a lot of gas, look what happened to the gas prices. Only held at that price for a little while, only in a particular area of Germany, I think it was, but it reached nearly 600% of the cost that it was the previous year. You can see how pressure is building up on, Russia, on Europe to submit to Russia and us. Ha, coals. So it's here in Australia. Look at what we're seeing right now. You see, the international price is climbing because everybody wants to get oil and not get it from Russia. And so we can see it's climbed to unbelievable heights now. You can get a little bit cheaper than that just down the street at the moment. But be that as it may, there we go, is a photo of it a week or two ago, what it was like. So we can see the situation. And look what the paper says. As Russia con controls it and cuts it back, and the West desperately tries to help Europe, our prices could be worse. Could easily be worse, says the Australian. So things are looking like they're going to be quite tricky indeed. And the reason? Russia invades Ukraine. Russia invades Ukraine? Well, we've expected that from Scripture. Remember what verse 2 said? But look at a little particular point there. Gog of the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. What's Magog? It's central and eastern Europe. I'll show you that in a second. And then it says that Rosh, Russia, will be turned back from other things that it was doing and invade. They pulled back in the 1990s out of eastern Europe. Now they're advancing. They pulled back from the Warsaw Pact countries. Now they're advancing. Well, that's where their aim is. And they will come with their army. Yes, to control Israel, but also to control Europe. So look again at that same verse. But now this time I'm using the RV. Son of man, set thy face toward Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh. That's why I use the RV, Meshech and Tubal. So there's the territories of Rosh, Meshech, and the area of Tubal is over this side here. So we can see the area of Russia is involved. But now I want to look at this Magog. Here's a map. You can get this off the web. Here's the Magog area. It's the area of the Scythians. And in the days of Ezekiel, they inhabited this area here to the north of the Black Sea and then migrated east, uh, westward into the area of Ukraine and Germany. So where is Mago today? Well, here we are, a key historian who wrote about the time of Christ, a very ancient writer, a Greek writer. And he said the Scythians, or Mago, I put that in, was the name given to the Greeks, to an ancient and widely extended people who spread from the river Don westward along the banks of the Danube. So here's Magog, here's the river Don, here's the river Danube. So where are we expecting to see it in our day? There. There. There's the area of Magog, or the area of Scythia, 
That is the area that the historians tell us is the territory that will be under his control. So, Russia's got big aims. His aims? Ha, here's little Ukraine. I'd like to gobble you up. And again, oh, sorry about that. Now, what have I done wrong there? I've switched the silly thing off. There we are. Got it back. I pressed the wrong button. There we are. Gobble up, Ukraine. Nice, friendly smile. I thought I couldn't resist that one. Just had to put it up for you. Well, they're acting. Go back to early this year, 24th of February, and Russia moved. Russia crossed the line. There's the front page of the Australian, and they moved in. Huge numbers of troops were used, but reasonably old equipment moved into that area. And here we can see the second day. Echoes of World War II, says this paper. They're worried. They're worried about a world war. There's the Australian. His children in cellars, frightened because of the attack of Russia in certain particular areas. And here the people are fleeing. Here's the taillights of these cars as they flee. And Ukraine is under huge pressure. And people are fleeing for all their life, for all their worth. Here we can see figures. Look at the date, only a few days ago. 6.7 million have already fled Ukraine. They're letting out all the children and all the women. But all those who are of an age, I think it's 16 to about 60, they're holding back to be fighters. And they are holding Russia up for the time being. So here's what's been gained. Okay, it's a little older than now. There's a bit more expansion in this area. And Russia is taking control of all the coastline of Ukraine. Very significant. Because it's going to be hard for them to get material in there. And this area of Moldavia is very pro-Russian too. So Russia is enveloping, so to speak, slowly but surely, the area of Ukraine. Yes, they're attacking in a very cruel manner. Russia's trying to destroy the last troops. And Murapol, whatever, how you pronounce it, that steel plant, remember it? Look at the devastation that took place there. Many of them fled to Russia, giving themselves up so their life might be saved. And so things are moving. But now look at this. The date, huh, today is the third, 29th. 29th, yesterday. Guardian said, Russian-Ukraine war, what we know of day 94 of the invasion. Russia is planning a full-scale victory in Ukraine by autumn. Whether that happens or not, we'll see. I think they thought they would achieve it earlier. But it hasn't come to pass yet. But this is what the papers are stating. A full-scale victory in Ukraine is possible before the end of the year. Well, we'll see. But certainly they're planning a massive expansion like this. The Ukraine foreign minister accused NATO of doing nothing, literally nothing, in the face of Russia's invasion. Why? Because they don't want to be involved in a war. Yes, they're sending weapons in there, but limiting the quality of them somewhat. So things are really happening. But while that is happening, remember the oil being cut off to some degree? Well, here's the next thing that's been cut off, food. 
The global world food crisis is now being faced. You see, the price of food is climbing, climbing. Ukraine is the fifth biggest wheat exporter, okay? counting for 10% of the global market, 15% of the global market for maize products. And Russia is the largest wheat exporter, about 17% of the global export. So you can see in this crisis, food is a problem. They're cutting it back. The coming food catastrophe, says The Economist. Only a few days ago, Russia and Ukraine supplied 28% of the global traded wheat, 29% of barley, 15% of maize, 75% of the sunflower oil. And the price of food is climbing everywhere. I was hearing on the radio only just this morning, climbing in New Zealand because people in other parts of the world are buying New Zealand grain like they're buying it here. And the price is going up, affecting everybody because everybody's desperate for food. So what did India do? Look, India said it suspended all exports. In other words, their farmers are only going to get their normal price. So it's not going to anybody else. And China, the largest wheat producer, had a bad year. Had a bad year. And so we can see that situation is bad. A huge food crisis is being faced. And one country that gets it from there, as we'll talk about in a second, is Iran. The war in Ukraine is already a tragedy as it ravages the world's breadbasket. A calamity looms. So through bread, food and oil, Russia's basically a gun at the head of the world. Look what's happening in Iran. Iran dominantly gets its food, its bread or grain, its wheat from Russia and Ukraine. The price has merely gone up 500% in price. Look at the supermarkets. And they went on to say in that same article, 27 million tonnes of grain planned for export is stuck in Ukraine. Actually, some of it isn't. Russian teams are getting in with their trucks, getting the grain and sending it off to Russia. In other circumstances, food silos are being bombed by Russia. So a bread costs skyrocket in Iran. So does the risk of social unrest there. But now, come on. Son of man, set thy face against the land of Mogok, Central Europe, and Prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal, Rush. Russia, and prophesy against him. And with him is Goma, Gaul, France, and all his bands. So we can see all of Europe's involved. So almost all of Europe will be allied together with Russia. So it would seem, as we see from that quote. So what are we expecting? Well, they will fall to that, and probably due to oil, gas, food. Who knows? They may well succumb. But the, in the near future, they will come under alliance with Russia. But now, let's turn more particularly to what Ezekiel 38 said to us. There's an invasion of the Middle East. They invade Turkey, then Israel. I will bring thee forth, says verse 4, and all thine army, 
verse 6, and the house of Tagama, that's Turkey, or just north of Turkey. And as Daniel 11 said, the king of the north, that's the territory of Turkey, shall come against him and shall enter also into the glorious land. So Turkey will be involved. So here's what Russia will do. It will come out of the uttermost parts of the north, says the RSV. Here we expect him to take Europe. We're not sure of the exact order. Scripture doesn't demand first Europe falls and then he moves into Turkey. But we know he will do these things. So this order isn't necessary in sequential order. Scripture doesn't give it to us. But this we do know. Russia will come into Ukraine. I did this actually back, this PowerPoint, way back in about 2015. Then it moved into Europe. Well, we don't know if it'll be there first, but we know it'll certainly be one or the other, Europe or Turkey, and then into the Middle East. We know that in the end will indeed be true from Scripture. So things are looking scary to say the least. So Ezekiel 38 describes a Russian invasion of Israel. But the question for all of us, when? When will this be? Well, the scripture says to us in Ezekiel 38 verse 14. We looked at this a little bit very briefly before. I'll read out to you verse 14. Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, thus saith the Lord God, in that day when my people of Israel dwell confidently, as the more modern versions, or safely, shall thou not know it. There they are in the land today, confident with their weaponry. Amazing victories they've had. 1948, 1967, 1974, 75. You know, amazing victories. They're confident. They're dwelling securely in their own might. That's what the scriptures are saying. But look at verse 16. And thou, talking about Russia, shalt come out of the, against my people Israel as a cloud to cover the land, and it shall be in the latter days. And I will bring thee against my, my land, that the heathen may know me when I shall be sanctified in thee, Gog, before their eyes. So Russia shall come forth against Israel in the latter days. Hasn't happened yet, but it will. We won't turn to it because time is running away from us a little. It's on the PowerPoint there. In Daniel 11, it talks about a time of the end when the king of the north, which is the territory that controls, Tur the power that controls Turkey and Iraq and Iran, that area there, which is going to be Russia, shall come against him like a whirlwind, the land of Israel, with horses and with horsemen and many ships, and he shall enter into the glorious land. Russia will come. He will take that land. The inspired word of God says so. But Russia has already moved into the Middle East and now on Israel's border. They moved in in 2015. They're already there. In 2015, huge number of ships arrived off the coast of Syria. Putin is carrying out Russia's biggest military intervention outside the old Soviet Union for almost 30 years. And they moved in. They moved into the port Lateka over here, Tartus over here, and now to some degree controls Syria. Here's the ports. Look at the ships. Here's another picture. Here's the ships arriving. There's only 10 of them, but there were more. 
And here's the port that they've built. They're not falling around. They did that back in 2015 and they've been building up since then. Russia is building a new military base right near Israel's border. 85 kilometers from central Golan is the key base. And they've also got troops right on Golan's border. And this year, only a few days ago, some of their planes attacked Israeli planes and one of their missiles was fired successfully toward one of the Israeli planes. It didn't shoot it down, but it got near to it. So things are moving. There's the base. And Russia has got a significant number of troops there in that area. Well, did we ever expect that before Christ came? I didn't. I thought, yes, Russia will move, but I never expected this before it came. Why have we got that sign? To tell us the time is super short and we should be concentrating on God's word and preparing ourselves for the kingdom so we find the place. Don't fool around. That's what it's saying to all of us, every one of us. Don't fool around. He's there. But when Russia invades Israel, what's going to happen? Zechariah chapter 14. I think we could probably turn that up if you like. Come with me to Zechariah chapter 14. It's a beautiful chapter. Because it speaks of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember he ascended from the Mount of Olives. Well, look at verse 2. Zechariah 14 verse 2. And I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city shall be taken and the houses rifled and the women ravished and half the city shall go forth into captivity and the, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. So God will intervene. But look how, verse 5, the first step and his... I believe it's referring to Christ, shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, very great valley. And half the mountain shall remove toward the north and half toward the south. So when those nations come into the Middle East, my dear friends, they're going to come in for war. But Christ will return and there will be a great earthquake. The Mount of Olives will be split. Remember where Jesus ascended to heaven from? The Mount of Olives. Where does he come back to? The Mount of Olives. I believe he comes to the believers before that, well before that. Could be up to 10 years is good evidence to believe that before that time. But when Russia finally makes its grand move to building up that empire against Israel, Christ will come. He will stand upon the Mount of Olives and the consequence will be huge. Now come back with me to Ezekiel 38. Look what it says. It, the, it will be on the PowerPoint up there. But verse 18 supports what Zechariah said. And it shall come to pass at that same time when Gog shall come against the land of Israel, saith the Lord God, that my fury shall come up in my face. For in my jealousy and the fire of my wrath have I spoken. Surely in that great day, in that day there shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. Remember the Mount of Olives splits? Great earthquake? 
There shall be a great shaking in the land of Israel. And look what he goes on to say in verse 20. So that the fish of the sea and the fowls of the heaven and the beasts of the earth and all the creeping things that creep upon the earth and all the men that are upon the face of the earth shall shake at my presence and the mountains shall be thrown down and the steep places shall fall and every wall shall fall to the ground. You know, when you think about the Middle East, think of the Jordan Valley, think of the Dead Sea, very highly cracked area, huge fault lines that move right down into Africa. It is a major fault-prone area. Scriptures tell us a great earthquake will take place, split the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Zion, Jerusalem, the area of Zion will be lifted up, the Dead Sea will be lifted, and the water from the Dead Sea will go into the Mediterranean. It will be a huge earthquake. But the consequence of that earthquake immediately is... Look at verse 21. And what does he say? And I will call for a sword against them, him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother. There'll be a great earthquake. Many will be judged and destroyed thereby. And a swift war will take place. And the Russian forces and those allied with it, Europe, will be defeated by the power of God, by the working of God. The time is short. And he goes on to say in verse 22, And I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. Pestilence! And I will raid upon him and upon his bands and upon the many people that are with him. An overflowing rain and great hailstone, fire and brimstone. Remember earthquake prone? Thus will I magnify myself, says God, and sanctify myself. And I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. What a wonderful prospect we have before us. But now the critical question for all of us is, when? When will Christ return to us? Jesus said, and there shall be signs in the sun, moon and stars, distress of nations with perplexity, people saying, there's no way out. Who can solve this oil problem or energy problem or this food problem or this war problem? Men's hearts failing them for fear. That's what we're seeing today. Looking for those things which are coming on the earth. Oh, they desire a change. The scripture says, when these begin, not end, begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. We're living in those days. We're living in those days now. Don't wait for Russia to make the grand move. Christ will come probably well before that. So what should we be doing? We should be making sure that we are walking in that right way. Now, remember when Jesus ascended into heaven and the angels stood by him? Remember we started with that quote right at the beginning? And the angel said, don't look up into heaven. He shall come again in like manner. But just before that, Jesus said these last words and he said unto them go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved but he that believeth not shall be condemned so it's very straightforward there's three essential steps to salvation for us here they are we need to believe the gospel that's the true good news of the bible 
Not that we go to heaven. Not that there is a trinity. Not those things, but what the scripture says, the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ was the definition of the gospel. Things concerning the kingdom of God that is to be established on this earth. In the name of Jesus Christ, spoke of the work that he would do and accomplish that we might be saved. He had to die and rise again. Couldn't be a God. Couldn't be part of the Trinity. And then having believed that truth, the true understanding of the gospel, we need to be baptised. And we know that when this person was baptised, it wasn't merely a sprinkling. It was total immersion in water of a person demonstrating his utter commitment to serving God and rising again and doing that. And then he says, if he continues faithfully, continues in that way, sorry about that, this will probably blank out for a second, I don't know why it's doing that. There we are, now I have to go back and hopefully play from the current film. There we are, sorry. And so we'll be in the kingdom. That's what we want. It's almost here. Prepare for that great day, ladies and gentlemen, by seeking the things of God, following in those ways. We can see the evidence moving very quickly at this stage. Time is short. Finally, when Christ returns and rules, he will accomplish what we said earlier in the peace. Then the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. What a wonderful prospect. We pray that each and every one of you will find a place in that kingdom in that day. So we need to act now while there is still time to walk sensibly in the truth while there is still time. And then we shall find a place in that kingdom. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.